Welcome to the TalkScript Podcast. We're recording live, technically, from sunny Omaha, Nebraska at NEJS Conf 2018. The Nebraska JavaScript Conference always has a great speaker lineup, and this year is no different. Over the next four to five episodes, we'll be talking to several conference participants, including keynote speakers Clarissa Peterson, a UX expert, and Lori Voss of NPM, not to mention two of the conference organizers and even a couple of attendees. In our second podcast of this series, we'll be talking to Carmen Borland, a software developer in Oklahoma City and creator of MargieMap, Andre Sitnik, author of PostCSS and lead front-end developer at Evil Martians, and Beth Hobart, a software engineer at Flywheel. Carmen introduces us to the world of service workers and how support for intermittent connectivity and offline access is one of the areas of web development that has the potential to impact everyone. This work is highlighted through her project, MargieMap, which overlays public access to the internet with median incomes. Andre, inspired by a mad Russian scientist, is at work promoting a data management approach known as CRDT. We talk about the web developer's desire to make things perfect, how complex data creates complex code, performing data changes with discrete actions, and the need for making ideas more accessible by using simpler language. Beth helps us deal with one of the big frustrations of front-end web developers, third-party APIs that aren't available for use through a browser. We learn about AWS Lambda, how Netlify makes using it painless, and how these technologies together make it easy to perform operations through a server by calling functions instead of spinning up an entire web development stack. We have a special guest on the show this morning. We haven't seen your talk, so we're going to be... It's actually before your talk. It's actually before your talk. So we're going to try to make you more nervous <laughs> for your talk by asking you all sorts of crazy questions that are super difficult to answer. This is Brian. I'm Neil. We work for SitePen. Would you like to introduce yourself and yeah, tell name, us a little bit about your talk? My name's Carmen Borland. I'm talking about service workers here. Service workers will cache assets from your website, so any of your static files, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, images, and they'll cache them on the user's computer, so you no longer need a network connection to access a website. We've been talking about offline apps for probably 10 years. I remember we were yeah. at Dojo Developer Day. And we've re-implemented in, them like five different times. Yeah, we've re-implemented them, yeah, um, with Flash <laughs> and I don't know how many different ways. And so now we have native in the browser. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Service workers also have, like what you were just saying, they have push notifications, so you can emulate that from a mobile phone. And then they also have background sync. They're introducing things with service workers where you can actually put them on the home screen of your phone. They're really, really powerful. Very cool. And so I understand the, the gist of them is that you are you have a JavaScript file that downloads a list of assets that you need. And then once it has downloaded all the assets, then the JavaScript executes. Right? And you, and you can start. If it doesn't, then it fails or whatever. Right. Uh, and then, <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> and it might not even launch the service worker during the page that you're visiting. So kind of like the life cycle of a service worker is once it downloads, it's going to activate. And then once it's activated, it doesn't really do anything at that point. It's kind of just like hanging out in the background, waiting for an event. In this case, it's usually waiting for a fetch event. So like that's when we're like going to grab the files. So it intercepts right there, and it says, hey, do I have these files already? And if it does, it goes ahead and serves those up from the user's machine. So like this is like service workers are kind of a nerdy thing, right? They're, they're, 
they're not flashy, right? No, they're not like, they're not, they're, not, they're not like, oh, you know, I make this sparkle or, you know, my this element moves and fades out and stuff. What, what made service workers exciting to you? Like, why, why are you talking about service workers? I've always been really interested in offline techniques. Offline has a really, like, special place in my heart because there's a lot of people in the United States who don't have internet access. And so I, it's really cool with service workers because there's not a lot of things as web developers that we do that are going to affect every single user, you know? But every single user is going to lose connection. And so this is something we can do that quite literally is going to have a positive impact on every single user. So yeah. it's really, really cool in that way. How are you using them? I use them at work to, um, I work at like a, a, a store basically, like we're, we sell things. Yeah. But what we're using service workers for at work is in addition to caching assets on the e-commerce site, we are trying to help users who lose connection from their phone, yeah. and we're doing that with Background Sync. So what Background Sync allows you to do is it allows you to schedule events if a user loses connection. So like say you click submit, you can hook that up to a sync event. It'll go ahead and attempt it, and if it fails, it'll go ahead and reschedule it for you. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, it is, and it's really, really helpful, again, for people who, yeah. everybody really, who loses connection periodically. Absolutely. So. There's another project that you're a part of, and it doesn't have to do with selling things. No, it doesn't. Um, and it's actually really neat. You were showing this to us before we got on, and so I'm kind of waiting for you to talk about it. Absolutely. It's called Margie Map. So Margie Map is it's a map, and <laughs> what we've done is we have plotted out libraries in the United States along with the income surrounding them. And you're talking like physical libraries, yeah, like the physical where you location. go and find books, not like a JavaScript library. Correct, not yeah, like yeah. a JavaScript library, okay. like an actual building where books are yeah, yeah. and there's computers what and internet access. Things? We have children, so we know, <laughs> we know, know. about the library. But that's where we go to rent movies. No, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. No, we, we give books as well. Oh, go ahead. So the reason that we chose libraries, I keep saying we, it's actually me. The reason I chose libraries to put on the map is because libraries are one of the last places where a person can go and access the internet, but not just the internet, you know, like the computer and the books and every everything that the library has to offer without, without charge. So... You know, usually, like, when I'm trying to work on things, I go to Starbucks or a place with Wi-Fi. But not everybody has that ability. Not everybody even lives close enough to get there. And when you go, like, you have to pay, usually, because they're not, like, Starbucks doesn't like it when you go and you don't buy coffee. Right. And they might just arbitrarily decide yeah. you're not worth having around. Yeah, and, they yeah. might do that. So <laughs> that's why I chose libraries, was because they are something that people can use and access the Internet. So what I was trying to see with the map was if there is a correlation between lower income locations and library access. So the map has the entire United States right now for the income data and the surrounding libraries. As far as looking at the data, I've only looked at Oklahoma so far. That's where I live. And in Oklahoma, I can definitely see a correlation between library access and income. What type of correlation are you seeing with it? So. In Oklahoma, the, there are a lot of more rural areas, and the more rural areas tend to have lower median income. So that was the data that I got from the census, was the individual, so like a person's individual median income. 
and in a rural area it tends to be a lot lower and there also tend to be a lot less libraries so it's unfortunate that people who you know maybe need the internet the most are sometimes not able to access it right all. right it's pretty amazing to see all the libraries on the map <laughs> yeah there's a whole bunch of them there's, there's, a there's lot more of than i realized chicago's hogging all of our libraries yeah chicago has so <laughs> many they need to share the wealth I'm pretty sure it's like based on like per capita though. That's probably not that many. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Chicago's so big. I'm always amazed by Chicago. Yeah, we're just right now we're looking at I pulled up Cedar Rapids and I was, Neil's from Des Moines, so I'm, I'm looking Des Moines, at Des Moines yeah. and here's Omaha. We're in Omaha today, so I guess we should scroll in. Omaha's got quite a few. They're they're quite a lot bigger than Des Moines or Cedar Rapids. Oh yeah. Uh, so um, that one's interesting because even in the higher areas where there's higher wealth, there's still even pretty spread out. Right. Yeah. And so libraries. in terms of like walkability, that's another thing I'm trying to look oh, at yeah, with absolutely. the map is if you are lower income, you're less likely to own yeah. a vehicle. Yeah. yeah the, so, the cities are where it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Because if you're yeah, if you're okay. in a, if you're in a large if you're in an area that is very low income in a city, and there's not a library within walking distance, that seems kind of crazy. Yeah. And then you have to account for public transit and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know, like we have. In Cedar Rapids, we do have a bus system, but it's not its not everywhere. Yeah, it's the same it in Oklahoma some, City. Yeah. It takes you probably two hours to get anywhere. They're, yeah. they're making strides with it, but it's its taking time. Right. It's nowhere near like Chicago. Where exactly. There's a bus every five minutes. I lived in D.C. for a while, and the public transportation in Des Moines is embarrassing compared to D.C. Well, I mean. D.C.'s crazy. It's I mean, really, really You're good. on an order of magnitude difference yes. in population. <laughs> Still surprising. Oh, Absolutely. Service workers. <laughs> so how are you using service workers with your... Oh, you're not. So the map is, the map is really interesting. Yeah, so yeah. The map uh, proves that you need service workers. The map proves workers. that you need that's, service workers. That's actually workers. A, great, a great thing. Yeah. So it's, it's ironic, right, that I'm not using service workers on this map. But so the, there's a couple of different reasons, and they're like tech reasons. So the map tiles are provided by Mapbox. Yeah. And so since I don't have the map tiles, it is very difficult for me to cache the them. Cache them. Yeah, absolutely. And so I've thought about if I want to generate my own tiles it's kind of up in the air because to me the more important thing is like analyzing the data but there definitely is an irony in this like here we are illustrating like look we need service workers but we're not using them <laughs> I just thought that this this project is really neat I think so too <laughs> yeah I like the the idea of giving more power to the way that you cache files because I know we have yeah. like we have loose mechanisms in place but there's no like conditional logic you can employ to say is this particular piece of data stale or not, right? Like You're at the, the mercy of the browser. Yeah, like with e-commerce, right? Like you have a bunch of things where you know that you can cache it for a while. Like if you're talking about like pictures of your products, you can probably cache those. Prices, you can probably cache those for a little while, but there's like inventory. Yeah, prices change, right? Yeah. Like it's holiday season, the prices go up. But they might change like every, you could check that like every hour, right? But like inventory, you're going to want to like really know as well as you can I what actually the is just read time. an article about another e-commerce business. It was uh, Precious Metals. And they turned their mobile site into a progressive web app with service workers. Okay. And they were having this exact problem that we're talking about. Like the inventory was, it was moving very quickly. Yeah. And also their prices, it was, since it's precious metals, their prices vary greatly oh, in absolutely. a way that like my <laughs> mind doesn't, right? 
It's almost like the stock market. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. And so their solution to that was like just to check every hour. But, and that really did. So rather than it sped up their app, I think they were saying something like 50% or something like that. It was a massive increase and they yeah. saw a lot more conversions from it as well. So there's a, like a humanitarian side of it, which Absolutely. I'm really interested in, yeah, but there's yeah. also a really solid business case for implementing Absolutely. them as well. Absolutely. I really like, I like that it offloads, like we've, with SitePen, we've done a lot of really complicated engineering over the years. Mm -hmm. And I like that this abstracts some of the stuff that we've had to do before. It coalesces, if you have a bunch of different requests for the same thing all throughout your app, you don't really have to worry about like, I'm gonna create this specific function that makes this API call that deals with this thing, right? Like you can cache it on that in the service worker rather than having to do all of that complicated stuff on your front end, right? Like. You have to, if you have the time, you should do that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But it's neat, you, you know, you get that. It's like middleware for your for your web app. Yeah. Without, and, yeah, involving, the, without involving the server. And then what I understand as well is the, the same service worker operates across multiple tabs right. on the same website. So that's true. You definitely want to use feature detection. I'm going to talk about that in my, in my talk. But, We're um, big proponents of feature detection. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, the, the service worker will... If you have multiple tabs open, like it's working in each tab, it's working in really each browser with like a yeah, few yeah. exceptions. So it's very cool in that does way. Does it work in IE6? It does no, not, it does not. It's kind of funny actually that it's not in, it's not in IE11. Yeah. And it's never gonna be. Like, oh no. They're I mean, like, yeah, of course mm, not. nope, not gonna happen, sorry. Yeah, well I think IE11 is basically a maintenance mode now. Pretty much, it's just, people are much it's more sad comfortable for me, cause like yeah. people still use it, you know, and so I'm like, no, give them the stuff. So are there different like user interface patterns that you've had to come up with to kind of convey that information is like partially cached? Kind of. <laughs> I love the expression on your face. Well, sort of. <laughs> sort of. So like with service workers and background sync, you don't have to like request permission to use them from yep. the user. So in terms of like making sure that they know that data might be stale, like there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can just not tell them, which you, you want to be careful with, of course, but there's... For an e-commerce, it's probably safe to just present it and right. it's probably going to be good. Yeah. In terms... I mean, what the PCI compliance, I'd be... Well, for, I mean, I'm thinking more just for, like, Definitely inventory Definitely don't want to like do, that. like, credit card stuff with service. Yeah, okay, okay. Definitely not. Well, you said something earlier about, you know, submitting something and then it... Oh, with background scene. Yeah, yeah, with background yeah, yeah. yeah, with service workers, you could send, like, some requests through... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Okay. Yeah. There's ways to handle for that. In terms of letting people know, you can... I think that really just comes down to frequently polling and, like, pulling data as often as you can, and then syncing the data back as often as you can. I think personally, I'd be kind of hesitant to tell someone that their data might be stale. Yeah. I don't want them to, to worry. Yeah. Like, I, so. you know, I, looking at like stock apps, I think the, the way that they do that is really interesting where they like gray things out and then like blink things when they've been refreshed. And yeah. it's really, it's really interesting to see that. And I was, it just kind of made me curious, like service workers really add a level of having tight control over how often things refresh. Yeah. I'm sure there'll, there'll be some new UI patterns yeah. in the next few years. They're so new. I'm well, especially like, we're still with, coming up with And then, and then uh, with accessibility on top of that. Mm -hmm. What happens if you close the browser? What happens if you close so, the browser? So I mean, like, all right, I'm on my phone. To the service worker. You to mean. the service worker. I'm on my phone, and I'm browsing your e-commerce site, and I submit something, right? Like, I submit a comment. Okay. And I lose things, and then I just, you know, go over oh, Facebook. Oh, okay, right? I understand. You know, it's in the background now, so what, what happens? So, 
Background sync is really cool for this too. Okay. I've written custom ways in the past to take care of this, but what they didn't provide was what you're describing, like what happens when you close the browser. Or even, or the tab or whatever, yeah. So background sync will actually handle that for you. There's okay. as as a part of background sync itself, you don't really have any setup with this. Once you've set up background sync, this is like part of the package. So what background sync will do is you hit submit and it goes ahead and it tries it and say it fails. Yeah, yeah. And you, but you don't realize it fails and you're already onto something else. Yeah. It's gonna, when we get connection back, it's gonna go ahead and try it again, regardless of what okay. site you're on. So it's it's literally like a thread running in the background. Yeah, it's, yeah, so service workers are based on web workers. Yeah. So they've taken no, a cool. lot of that same yeah. and you have to idea. Do you have to request permission as a service worker to be able to do that kind of? Not with background sync. With push notifications you do, but with like just regular service worker to files and then background sync you don't have to request permission cool what about a request makes it like a background sync operation so it's really kind of up to your discretion personally I think that any kind of submit would be good for background sync or do you have to tell the API that you're making a background sync request or so yeah what you do is um, you attach a event listener to your button and you set up the sync right there as a part of that function and then you have an event listener in the service worker that's listening for the sync event. That type of up. event. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. This is all really neat. It is. I, I really I really dig service workers. And I like how I like how you're passionate about service workers. It's something that's not like like I said, it's not flashy. No. Um, <laughs> but on top of that, you've gone and you're doing this research on the side to tell people, look, there's a need for service workers. Mm -hmm. It is important. And you've proven that it's important. That, to me, is really cool. So Thank you. Yeah, I mean, just on the drive over here, seeing the internet go up and down and up and down. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. it, it would be so nice to have that, that sort of pattern. It gives you this consistency that we don't have right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's going to be something that, that people will consider baking into every app that they make? Absolutely. So Create React app is a scaffold, <laughs> and then uh, the Angular CLI and Vue as well have all started just including a service worker as a part of the scaffold. And so Dojo they're easier than ever to hmm. set up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I, I think that having that is like a, something that you consider in every app that you build would be super helpful. Yeah, I absolutely. Agree. It brings us close, you know, the ideal of engineering yeah. level programming, it, it seems like it's going to bring us closer to that attitude. You know what cracks me up about this? I've been rewatching this show, Halt and Catch Fire, mm -hmm. and so... I want to watch that. They, it's so good. Go check it out <laughs> Wait, which, for sure. which show? It's called Halt and Catch Fire. Halt and Catch Fire, okay. It's based in the 80s, and so in one of the seasons, they are working on, like, the OG internet, you know what I mean? Like, it's all distributed, and, like... You're tying up your phone line. So I'm watching that while I'm working on service workers. And it's just like this complete <laughs> You're like, we've solved that now. Well, like, we started out and we're like, man, wouldn't it be really cool if all of our computers were linked together and could talk to each other? Yeah. And now we've done that and we're like, oh, wait, wouldn't it be really cool if we didn't have to do that? So... I, I don't know. I think it's we've kind of come full circle yeah. in that way. Yeah, if that was like the nice but optional part of the programs that we use. Yeah. Service workers. Service workers. It's really neat. Thank you so Thank much for, you. for sitting and talking with us. This is Neil Roberts with the TalkScript podcast. And I'm Brian Forbes. We have with us... We have a guest here with us. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Andrei Sitnik. Hello, everyone. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to butcher it. 
Hi, so what do you do for a living? Uh, and can you give us kind of a high-level view of what your talk was about? Right now, I'm the lead front-end developer in a consulting company called Evil Martians. United States put a company name in the work visa. So right now, we have a real document that I'm Martian, and I'm evil. And um, also, I created... Uh, a lot of open source. You may know me as creator of PostCSS, after prefix, a browser list, all that stuff. But uh, here I present a completely different idea <laughs> called CRDT. It's my new project because, you know, like CSS, it's very hard to add anything else to PostCSS. <laughs> it works pretty well. I think you said it's, it's basically in maintenance mode now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's perfect. More, <laughs> Not perfect, but it solves the original uh, tasks. It works. Yeah. yeah. And the main problem that we need to do is just remove uh, node four or six support just to keep people to update the node version. Yeah. So I tried to find some new challenge and I found that CRDT is really good stuff. And so here I presented a talk about CRDT. Is there something that you had been working on before that kind of led you into working on CRDT specifically? Yeah, yeah, there is a small story about it. I think it's a very common story. A lot of developers have problems. We try to make everything perfect. And like when on the work, a client asked me about some simple form. You start to think how to make it perfect, how to make it capable for all cases. And then you find yourself that it is impossible to you to solve the problem. Your form works bad in many cases. It's for good only in ideal cases. And at the time, I start to think how I can solve it, but didn't find a solution until in Kiev, Ukraine, I was on the talk of Viktor Grishenko. A mad Russian scientist, <laughs> and um, he presented his own CRDT solution called SwarmJS, and I was so convinced. And then I tried to use it in our project, and it was completely different user experience. So, for instance, you don't have internet, or you have internet, it's not important. You change something in your application, and in second browser tab, when you open the same project, you see your changes from the different browser tab. And like it's so obvious when you see it, but it's similar to iPhone. Like we all was we all was okay with interfaces of Nokia or Blackberry until we tried to use iPhone. It was so different user experience. So we start to look at all previous interfaces as something bad. Same was there. And so as a result, it was impossible to me to continue to write this bad code without at least understanding that maybe in the future it will be solved. And CRDT is a good idea, you know? We have so complex code which work with networking, which try to save our, da our data to the server, because we use idea of requests. And if uh, you have some very complex systems, it means that maybe you need to change the idea, because in the different idea, the same things could be become much simpler. The good example is uh, uh, Copernic theory about that us is rotating around the sun. The small things and everything become much simpler. Same here, CDT is idea that make uh, your code, which have a great networking, much simpler to you, much more maintainable. Yeah, one thing that you that you mentioned in the in the talk that that really hit home was that if your data is too complex. Then your then your functions are going to be complex. Yeah, something along those lines, right? And and so sometimes when when we have this huge complexity, 
Sometimes we just need to simplify the data. And that really hit home for me. We work with a lot of companies that send a lot of data. A lot, yeah. Uh, financial institutions, et cetera, right? And, and it's got to be in sync, right? And, and they've got these massive databases, and they always want to send every single bit of data your way. And all the time it's like, just send, up, just send us what we care about. Right. And I mean, so that, that really hit home that it was like, change your data structure and your complexity, your complexity decreases most of the time. Yep. Yep. The simple example of what is CRDT is when you, I don't know, like use Redux or Vux or any pure function state management, then you put a time on every action to keep the same order. And instead of sending request, you just synchronize this Redux action across the system. You send it to the server, server will send it to the other clients. If server doesn't want some action, doesn't allow you to do some action, for instance, a user tried to change the name, but name was already taken, mm. you have a Redux, and in Redux you have time travel. In any moment, you can ask Redux to go a few steps, remove action from the history, and, and replay it again. And we can use this for two, two important things. First, can server can ask any client to remove any action from the history. And second, if client was in offline for, I don't know, two hours, make some changes, then go to internet, send us action, we will put the exact moment in the history. And we already have this technology, we even don't need to write it. It's already in reductive tools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is CRDT centered around that sort of pure function state management? It's not only option. Like CRDT is a very big amount of types. So it's a, uh, CRDT means conflict-free replica data types. And each type has different operations. Some of them could be translated to the functional. Some is more harder. But the common idea is that every client changes the data on its database and then sends the changes. So you don't need approval from the server. And it sends the actions, not the data itself. Not which, the state. Which yep. was really cool when you, were, when you were showing your slides. You had some timeline things, and you had the, you know, here's where you know, you've, got two data, you've got two data structures, and then you try and merge those together, and, well, it blows up, right? Well, if you just send the, the data, I mean, even, even there was an example you gave of, you know, this client sets the number of likes to 50, and this one sets the number of likes to 50. Well, there's two actions setting it to 50. It should actually be 51. So rethinking this of, okay, what is this client actually doing, right? Well, yeah, it's setting the number of likes, but it's actually trying to increase. This one's over here is decreasing, and then you, what do you do? You, you add them together. And you, so rethinking what the action is actually doing, it's like, this is a really simple a really simple paradigm. It's like it, you have this duh moment, like we should have been doing this for years. Yep. CRDT, all operations inside CRDT, they try to make it atomic as possible. Like if you change the text, you don't replace one text to a different value, you change the actual Very symbols, true. characters yeah. in this actual position. Yeah, and then cool. the, the example, the, I hope you put your slides online <laughs> oh, yeah. so we can link to these <laughs> in the show notes, but there was one where you showed, you know, how do, how do we do, because CRDT could be used for like a text editor, like uh, like Google Docs, like yep. we're using here, how do you conflict re resolute for a huge string? Well, you keep your your indexes static. That was that was awesome how you did that. It was very like, simple. It was it's very simple, but it's like I would have never thought of that, 
right? Like, it, it's not my idea. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I understand that, but it was like, you know, yeah. why, why haven't we been thinking yeah. this for, for years? Oh, yeah, it's, it's been cool. a, it's a huge problem in some of our projects uh, of dealing just with arrays. Like, how do we rearrange arrays? There was another project where we were doing the, uh, it was a Redux application with Dojo on top, and we were hitting race conditions where things were overriding. And had we had, you know, had we instead of set this to this value, increase this value and decrease this value and then merge the conflicts, uh, we could have solved a lot, of, a lot of issues. And this is a good topic, good question, because CRDT uh, was created nine years ago. And people like right now, a lot of people afraid it because they think that it is very complex. And it reminds me of the same case with functional programming. Yeah. Like before React, functional programming was created uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but people try to explain it in terms of math. And as a result, a lot of other people afraid math and afraid functional programming. But the idea was so simple, so easy to describe it. And this is what was amazing in React. They described the whole idea of functional programming in a simple way. So this is what I try to do here. Like, try to speak about CRDT in the simple way. Because yeah. the core idea is very simple. Make your actions atomic. I'm just going to, this is a call out to all JavaScript developers. Stop trying to sound smart and <laughs> explain things simply. I mean, I remember we would have talks with JavaScript developers and they would use, they would use language like, uh, what, idempotent? Yeah. And uh, orthogonal. Idempotent. Yeah, idempotent, whatever. Well, even with, yeah, even with functional programming, like, you, we're currying this function. And we're, and we're, this is a monad. And we're memoizing this. Yeah. We're memoizing. It's like, just use plain language and then people will be able, your talk was awesome. Thank um, you. And I really appreciate it. I mean, it'll be it'll be up online to watch on the video Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. This is, this is one that I highly recommend because I, I agree with you in your talk where you said this is, this is probably going to be the future. What we're seeing, we've done a few podcasts today, and I think one of the things we keep seeing is that engineering is becoming more something that we're moving more towards where we're actually formalizing and giving structure to how our apps work, right? With the, the service workers from earlier this morning where we have this clear, this is how data goes back and forth uh, with CRDT where you're dealing with how data is manipulated and how state changes. And that's really, it's cool to see JavaScript get to that point where we're doing engineering, not just copying and pasting from yeah. <laughs> Stack Overflow. And, it's, and it, the other thing that I think is neat is that you've got, with these concerns, you have front-end people actually caring what's happening on the back end. And, I mean, I remember it used to be the back end determined everything. And then now it's kind of shifted to, well, the front end determines everything. It should be where we're, we're all on the same team and, and there's a separation of concerns for sure, but there should be some sort of common language that the two speak that, that we, can, we can, you know. All web application, our backend and client side is just not a separated application. They part of the one big application. And this is what cool, cool in distributed system, instead of sending requests to nowhere, we try to synchronize the state across the system, yeah. like make it, try to have a more conversation between backend and client side. Also right now on the backend conferences, like Evil Martian, they work with Ruby on Rails, so we have a lot of talks about Ruby on Rails. Yes. In the backend, they speak a lot about event sourcing. They like the, that idea. Right now, GraphQL is not going so well in backend, unfortunately. It's a really great idea, very sad that not all backenders understand the cool things behind it, but CRDT could be a solution here as well, because in the backend world, they really like the idea of event sourcing. 
and they will be more open for this idea if it will come to them. You told a story during your talk, and I thought that was really funny. So you, you've you've given this talk before. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so tell us about that. This is second attempt. Unfortunately, it's hard to make the series talks simple. My first attempt, unfortunately, was not so good. It was more complex. People really was really bored. I tried to like test it in the portal. I uh, made a talk. I go to the audience, and one guys start to ask a lot of questions, start to point me on some small mistakes, and like. I'm in Porto, like, I'm waiting for my Ginginia. I don't want <laughs> to speak about technology. Why is he speaking so much? But of course, his question was awesome, very interesting. It, it was very strange that he has so deep into the <laughs> question until I realized that he was one of the inventors of the whole Serenity technology. Serenity <laughs> <laughs> uh, was uh, invented in the, at least a few of the creators was in the and Portuguese, and so for him it was uh, a few hours ride in the train, and so he took a train and just to see what people talk about CDT. But he as well really likes the idea of talking about CDT simpler. So even creators understand that we might talk about simple, not to go it's too yeah yeah too complex. I, that just must be nerve-wracking to, <laughs> to get done with your talk and then have one of the creators of the technology you're talking about come and you know correct you on it or whatever. I was very nervous. <laughs> <I bet> <laughs> <so>. <laughs> But that was, that's, that was great that he, that he was asking questions. That's, that's awesome. At the same time, I think like some of the code that we've written, oh, I think no if, we found out, if we found out someone giving a talk on the stuff that we've written, I feel like we would go to it to see what, yeah. how they're using it. Because I don't... I, whoever's using our stuff, I think, is going to be better than what we did. <laughs> right, right. But to be honest, that talk with him really helped me here because like speaking with accents, it's always hard. And if... like the create of technology, like really approved your talk, it's we really support you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's good. Thank you for a very, very good question. Yeah. yeah, that was a good talk. That was yeah. really fun. I'm excited to watch the video. Yep. For sure. <laughs> so, well, thank you for sitting down with us. Good to meet you. It was very yep. good to meet you. <laughs> I'm with Beth Hobart. She's one of the speakers today at NEJS. She hasn't talked yet, but we're going to talk about what she's going to talk about, and that is serverless apps. So why don't you tell me a bit about yourself, tell me about what your talk is on, and, and then I'm going to grill you. <laughs> All right. Well, my name is Beth, like you said. I live in Omaha currently. I came here by way of the military, ended up sticking around. I went through a coding boot camp a couple, two, three years ago, and I've been working as a Ruby developer at Flywheel for the past two years or so. Very good. So you came Air Force? I was in the Air Force yeah. for six years, yeah. All right. Offit is, is Down at here. Offit, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So you, you program in Ruby. Our last speaker, Lori, made a joke about Ruby. <laughs> what do you like about Ruby? And do you do any, any JavaScript? Well, I, the, the boot camp I went through, like a lot of boot camps, yeah. taught Ruby. Yeah. And... I just ended up in a, at a job where they also use Ruby, and yeah, I yeah. really enjoy it. I mean, it's a great language. It's intuitive. That being said, I am a back-end developer at work. I rarely touch front-end, but one of my goals for the year was to brush back up on JavaScript, yeah. hence this talk. And so I've, I've been using the talk-driven development okay. model where yeah. <laughs> I apply for talks, right. and then I'm forced to learn. You're forced to learn. <laughs> <laughs> then you're the expert, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right. Um, so that was kind of the impetus behind this talk. Okay. I thought of a problem to solve that a lot of front-enders may have issues with. 
And it all came about because of this company called Netlify. So they recently released a new feature called Functions, which is a wrap around AWS Lambda. So if you're a front-end dev and you're trying to build a static site for a client, and all of a sudden they call you up and they're like, oh, but we also want to list the current stock market exchange numbers. Yep. And then you're like, oh, great, now I have to, I have to hit some third-party API, yeah. but I can't do that for my current site because, of course, so... Cross-origin Cross-origin resource sharing. Or resource yeah. sharing, yeah. Yeah. So then they're like, shit out of luck. They're like, okay, so what are my options? And a lot of front-end devs would spin up a WordPress site or they would spin up a droplet on like DO, like some type of server on like yeah, a, yeah. A, you know, a cloud server yeah. service. They basically proxy the requests. Right, and yeah. that's a lot of back-end for just a tiny third-party yeah, request. Yeah, exactly. So I saw... Netlify come out with this feature with that wraps around AWS Lambda and like serverless is a great option for this problem because you only you're only paying for the resources you need. Right. You don't have to manage scaling. Right. You know, you don't have to deal with any server management. Right. You know? And the great thing is that so one of the biggest downsides of AWS in general, is their dashboard. Like, have you ever logged on into it? I haven't. It's terrible. Their UX is horrifying. Like, I hate <laughs> logging in. It'll give you a headache. So what Netlify did is they took AWS yeah. and they made the they made a UX for it okay. that's super user-friendly. Okay. And it's a super simple setup. It's like a config file you put in your project and and you sign up with Netlify and they set up uh, the third-party API endpoint okay. for you on AWS Lambda. Very nice. You don't have to do any setup. Right. It's it's a time saver. The only thing that I had to do was I had to add a little bit of Node yeah. to my project, but if you're a JavaScript dev, you if you don't know Node already, it's it's just like I took, I did like an hour-long like YouTube like yeah, tutorial yeah, yeah. and figured okay. it out. So okay. it's really simple to set up. Cool. Um, so if you're familiar with Node, it should be pretty simple. Even if you're not familiar with Node, yeah. it should be really simple. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, an hour of, of work is, is nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so serverless, right? So you're getting yeah. a, a serverless app. What is serverless, and why is it called serverless? I know. It's so frustrating because it's actually it's not accurate whatsoever because a serverless app still uses servers. Yeah. But it's only using servers when it needs them. Okay. So you're only spinning up a server when you're making that... API call. That's the only time the server's getting spun up. Anytime you run a function. So it's like so an on-demand on-demand server. That like sits in the background and just waits for requests. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's really that's cool. That's the way of the future. Okay. I think. I mean, I don't know. Who knows if, if that's actually how it'll go, but yeah. it seems... I'm, I'm holding you to that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Check back in two years and right. we'll see. In, in two years, yeah. We'll, we'll. I mean, but it's I mean, it's useful for the use case that I gave you earlier, yeah, the problem solved. Yeah. But there, I mean, you can use it for so many different applications, like for cron jobs, okay. like basically any code that takes less than five minutes to run. Yeah, you could just spin up a serverless server, yeah. like a function somewhere. <laughs> a serverless server. <laughs> a serverless yeah. server. You yeah. can spin up a function somewhere, and and it, when it's done, it shuts back down. You're not paying for the extra server costs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. What are some cool things that you're doing? outside of work? Well, on the programming side of things, 
I have another side project. In addition to the one that I, I share with people in this presentation I give today, I have another side project that is Ruby-based, yeah. uh, Ruby on Rails. And <laughs> it's an application where you upload a song file. Like, okay. And my application outputs the melody of that song in cat meows. In cat meows? <laughs> yeah. All right. It has no real purpose. Like. I mean... <laughs> I think the purpose is self-evident. I mean, that's what I'm hoping people right. people see, yeah. you know. I, th I think there's one project manager at, at SitePen who might be quite excited about this. Well, I mean, hopefully... The, the, great <laughs> thing, the great thing about this is that I'm not getting paid to do it, so... Right. If, if it, so if it doesn't go anywhere, then that's okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm on my third iteration of it. Nice. I, so I've been using different Melody Analyzer APIs. Yeah. And... <laughs> They're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'll be developing your own very soon? Oh, my God. I don't think so. Oh, okay. Right. I wish. I'm going to keep an eye out for more. But, yeah, so this is that's one of my side projects. And then, you know, outside of that, I, I, do, I, do, I play board games. Yes. I like driving my convertible around driving in the summer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're in Omaha, so I only get used out of it for that's like right. four for months. Like, yeah, three, four months. Yep. <laughs> and that's about it. Um, so, very yeah. cool. Well, thank you very much for stopping by and talking with us. Of course, and, yeah. And uh, good luck on your talk. Thanks for having me, Brian. All righty. We've got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba.